everybody. Welcome to the extra part. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka my man who hopefully he can secure me some Grizzly tickets. I promise I'll pay you back, but I know you're going to be in at least one of the playoff games. I'm going to try to, but it's super hard. I believe it. I believe it. But you still got a little bit of time before the playoffs, which, of course, we are going to talk about the current state of the NBA playoff picture. Of course, we got to kind of rag on the Lakers a bit for missing the playoffs entirely. In addition to that, we are going to talk about the Saints and Eagles draft first-round draft pick trades and see what, what direction both teams go with that. And, of course, want to close out the show recapping last weekend's WrestleMania. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the extraport.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers previous episodes for our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the export so kicking things off with that aforementioned trade Ethan, I don't know if you saw it, but um, the New Orleans Saints and Philadelphia Eagles made a trade earlier this week um, for quite a few picks um, in exchange for the 16th overall and 19th overall pick. The Philadelphia Eagles got the uh, got the Saints 18th overall pick for this year, a third round pick, a seventh round pick for this year, a first round pick for next year and then a second round pick for 2024 now I know that the Saints did just bring in I mean what did re-sign um Jameis Winston as well as sign Andy Dalton but Ethan do you think that the Saints building up this draft capital is to get a new quarterback or do you think they're going at other positions I think they might be going to other positions um I think that they've gotten to the point to where I think they trust Jameis, and as long as he's able to stay healthy, they might ride it out for a while. Yeah, I'm actually in agreement with you. I think that from what we saw from Jameis, I think he was like, what, 5-1 and one as a start? He had a really good record when he was their starting quarterback and put forth some really good performances. Unfortunately, um, as we all know, that knee injury took him out. And the Saints saw that it could be much worse at quarterback than Jameis Winston. Um, so I'm going to agree with you. I actually do think they're going to look in other directions. For example, left tackle would be a big position of need after Teron Armstead signed with the Dolphins. Also, they still need some more wide receivers because Michael Thomas is great but he still hasn't played in over a year and they need more depth at the position. So those are two positions that I could really see them using their current two first round picks to trade up to get, or just getting one of those players at each position. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some league retirement, starting off with, um, former first-round pick linebacker Whitney Merciless, who was decided to retire after 10 years in the league, spent a substantial amount of time with the uh, Houston Texans and then this past season with the Green Bay Packers. And in a bit more, eh, it was bound to happen news, Frank Gore has officially announced his retirement from the league, the all-time third I'm sorry. He's ranks third all time in rushing yards. And as we all know, spent substantially amount of his career with the San Francisco 49ers. In addition, Indianapolis Colts, Miami Dolphins and Buffalo Bills, New York Jets. He's bounced around a bit. But Frank Gore, as we all know, in his prime was a bad, bad man. So looking back at some of the best running backs of the past 15 to 20 years, where would you rank Frank Gore? Yeah. Um, but you have a lot. You had a lot of great running backs throughout the course of his time. 
And he was one of the greats. I just think that it was a lot of guys that overshadowed him throughout the course of his career. Yeah, like, when you look at the statistics, I mean, they're great. But it's just, I think the thing about Frank Gore that probably didn't get him as much attention as other guys is he didn't do it, like, in a sexy way. He was just a consistent running back, whereas, like you mentioned, Derrick Henry, he does it with power. AP does it through just blazing past everybody. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, another power back. But the I think the thing that helped keep Frank Gore around for so long was just the way that he did his job. He did it in a way that would also produce yards, but also did it safely, I mean, which is why he was able to play for so long. But, yeah, I'm in a grand institute, definitely top ten, but I just feel like, he kind of lacked the excitement of other running backs, which is why he doesn't rank higher. But, I mean, he's still one of the greatest uh, running backs, if not the greatest running back to ever wear a San Francisco 49ers jersey. So it's only fitting that that's the team he decides to retire with. But, all right, so we talk so much about free agent signings and everything, but there are team players who are already with teams who signed some pretty big contract extensions as of late. First things first, the Dolphins um, signed cornerback Xavier Howard to a five-year extension. That will pay him an average of $25 million per year. Personally, I think that Xavier Howard is a bit overpaid, not to say that he's bad, but here's looking at the other corners he's making more money than. Jalen Ramsey, who's making $20 million. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore is making nineteen and a half. Marlon Humphrey making nineteen and a half. Tre'Davious White making seventeen point two. Darius Slay making sixteen point six. Uh, J.C. Jackson making sixteen point five. Truthfully, I don't see Xavier Howard as the top cornerback in the league, and I don't see him better than most of the people that I named. What do you think? Yeah, I'm in the greatest. I think that um, it's just a tough, it's a tough predicament. But I really do think that he he has a lot of ways to go to be in the same category as those other guys. Yeah, but I mean, hey, at least he's getting paid, so give him that. But another player who I think is more deserving of their contract extension, Stephon Diggs. I mean, we've seen quite a few wide receivers get paid this offseason, namely Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. And Stephon Diggs is still a top-caliber wideout, and the Bills recognize that they extended him to a four-year $96 million deal, which could go up to over a hundred million dollars with incentives so how do you feel about that do you do you think that one was fair or do you think he's overpaid what are your thoughts i think it's fair because we saw the buffalo bills offense before stefan Diggs got there and how it was a um it was good but i think the thing that set them above and far and above and kind of raised their stock was once they brought him in you saw the development and the growth of Josh Allen when he had a true number one wide receiver. And he's one of the better wide receivers. I'd probably give him top – definitely give him top ten. I don't know exactly why I'm ranking, but he's definitely just a game changer. He's someone that I think they were smart for locking him up long term. Yeah, I think you really hit it on in the head. I mean, just – we saw potential from Josh Allen before Stephon Diggs got there, and then when Stephon Diggs got there, it was like we saw a completely different quarterback. And, you know, credit to Josh Allen for his development, but I think that having a num- clear number one wide receiver like Stephon Diggs is going to help out anybody, and it's really just shown. So, yeah, no, I think that that deal is fair as well. And I'm in agreement with you as far as top ten. I think that prior to this past season, he definitely had a strong argument for top five. Truthfully, this upcoming season, I would put him over Tyreek Hill just because I feel like he's in a better situation to produce. 
But, yeah, no, I think that this was definitely a fair deal. But, all right, let's go ahead and look at some free agency moves and buzz. And, of course, we got to start off with the not-so-surprising signing for Bobby Wagner. Signing with the Los Angeles Rams for a deal worth $5 million. I mean, five years for $50 million, uh, with incentives that could potentially go up to $65 mil. And he even admitted that getting the chance to play Seattle twice a year was a cherry on top. And he said it won't be a quiet game for him. So, Ethan, you and I kind of figured this was going to happen, but how do you feel about him officially signing with the Rams? How does this help out that defensive side of the ball? I think it's going to be a tremendous help to the side of the ball. It was already good, but when you bring in Bobby Wagner, let's say that hypothetically they do bring back, um, they do bring back Aaron Donald. So now you're going to have, honestly, at all levels of the field, you're going to have another top, top ten, top fifteen player at the position because, and the thing that I think Bobby Wagner brings is he's going to be able to bring versatility. He's a guy that you can put in the middle of their defense. He can cover tight ends. He can rush the pa- he can rush the passer. He can stop the run, and he's just—he's honestly one of the smartest linebackers in the game right now. So you're going to pair that with a defense that could potentially already have Aaron Donald coming back into, and Jalen Ramsey, and now you're going to look and maybe the only thing I feel like that defense might be lacking now is just some more consistent pass rushes on the outside. But who's to say that they can't? figure out a move and get somebody in. So I think that it was a great sign. Yeah, I think it's a tremendous signing because if you had to look at last season's Rams defense, yes, they won a Super Bowl, so you're not really, you know, you're not tripping. But in terms of their linebacker group, or at least, you know, their non-edge rushers, they were kind of missing a bit of a spark. And you get Bobby Wagner and you get one of the biggest sparks in the league. As you mentioned, truthfully, I still keep Bobby in, like, my top five linebackers in the league just because no matter – even though he's getting older, he's still such a dynamic piece in the defense. We saw that this past year with Seattle all up and down the field. He was tremendous. And I expect him to do the same exact things, if not at a better level because of the other pieces around him. I mean, as you mentioned, Aaron Donald, who is supposed to be coming back, and then Jalen Ramsey on the back end. I think that that's really going to help them out on the second level. My only question really with the Rams right now is depth. They don't have much depth. Like, we, you get those big names, you know, Bobby, Jalen, and Aaron. And I would even throw in Leonard Floyd because I'd probably say he's the next big name player. But other than that, they have questions at safety. Line, the rest of their linebacker core with Von Miller leaving, there's questions about that defensive line. It's a lot of questions going on. But I do think having those three guys will, at the very least, allow you to know that you're going to be able to make plays. So, this is still a terrific and dynamic defensive trio, but would you call them the top defensive trio of all time? Uh, that's tough because you, we've had a lot of great defensive trios. I mean, even in my opinion, Bobby Wagner is in another all-time great defensive trio from his earlier years in Seattle when it was him, Richard Sherman, and Cam Chancellor. Honestly, that whole defense. Um, I think from a, a accolade standpoint, they might have some validity because Aaron Donald, in my opinion, might go down as the greatest defensive tackle of all time. Yeah. This is up in the air. Bobby Wagner is definitely a Hall of Fame linebacker. Jalen Rams is a Hall of Fame corner. So it's some, I think it's some validity with this statement. I just don't think that 
I think it's hard to say all time when you look at the history of the game and just see how many great players are on that side of the ball. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I think it has a lot of potential to be the best defensive trio in the league, but yeah. all time that's hard because I mean you look at other guys like the trio Baltimore, for example. They had a tremendous trio in Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis, and Ed Reed. You could definitely put them up there. Um, the Jets in their heyday when they had Darrell Revis, Antonio Cromartie, and then you can even say maybe Bart Scott, throw him into that mix. Like, there's a, every team at one point had a really dynamic defensive trio. And of course, I'm not saying that all of them are like all timers, but it's. It's not fair to just be like, yes, automatically they're the best. Like, in terms of all pro selection, like you said, accolades, they definitely have a case for it. But as of right now, it's way too early to get that far. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some trade news, starting with Devontae Parker, former wide receiver for the Dolphins, being traded to the division rival New England Patriots. Uh, the Patriots are getting Parker and a fifth-round pick for this year, while the Dolphins are getting a 2023 third round pick now Devontae Parker a former first round pick has not exactly lived up to the hype that he had um over the earlier parts of his career but he's still a productive player how do you think he's going to fit in to what they do in New England I think he's going to fit in well I think he's a guy that he's an obvious upgrade over some of the guys they have there in New England and I think that with that being um with him being there he can um he can help Matt Jones' development. I don't necessarily think that he's going to be a guy that, uh, you know, he's going to be a game changer, but he's definitely going to be a guy that they can utilize in their system. And when you have, you still have Bill Belichick. Yes, he's known more as a defensive guy, but he's been a guy that's been great at getting the most out of what he has. And I think that he's going to unlock some stuff in Devontae Parker and bring out the best of him. Yeah, I feel you. I think that while... This, for me personally, wouldn't just fix all the receiver problems that the Patriots have. I will definitely say that at the very least, I think that at the very least, um, it provides a lot of size on the outside. I mean, they drafted Nikhil Harry a few years back. I mean, he's 6'4", 6'5", big dude. You're expecting him to win those 50-50 balls and be that dynamic guy. Unfortunately, he's never really materialized to that effect. And while Devontae Parker has kind of been a slight disappointment in his own right, at the very least, you know he can produce. At least you know kind of what you're getting um, out of him. And so with that being said, I think that it's a nice upgrade. And then, I mean, you look at Jacoby Myers, who was solid this past year. Um, you get at a guy like Kendrick Bourne, another guy who was able to produce. I think that the Patriots are making a right right moves in that direction to get better, but I don't think Devontae Parker should be the end-all, be-all. I wouldn't be surprised if they still added at least one more wide receiver before it was all said and done. But speaking of adding wide receivers, it seems that teams are very interested in the possibility of trading for Brandon Cooks. Cooks is one of the better and more underrated wide receivers, consistently pumping out 1,000-yard seasons most recently with the Houston Texans. So, Pro Bowl caliber wideout seems to be on the market. What team do you think would be able to trade for him? Um, I could see maybe we just talked about a team. I could definitely see maybe the Saints trying to figure out where to bring him back because I think that, like you said, that they have um they're bringing back Michael Thomas, but we don't know what he's going to look like. He was out for basically the whole season this past season, and if you're able to make a move, you won't be giving up much. I can see him possibly at 
was giving up a second round pick, and if that's the case, you can add him into that toe and just um, give Jameis some, some more security on the outside. Yeah, um, that's actually the team that I had as well, the Saints. I think that, I mean, as we all know, he was formally drafted by the Saints out of Oregon State, was a really productive player um, with them before he ended up getting traded to New England. And from there, he's kind of bounced around a bit. But in, I mean, as I mentioned, in Brandon Cooks, you get consistency. And right now with the receiving core of the Saints, you really haven't had that in almost two years. So I think you put, as you mentioned, Brandon Cooks on the outside, and I think you get a really good number two who can step in as a number one if needed. And as you mentioned, it shouldn't cost too, too much. And then looking at his contract, I believe he's making like $12.5 per season. And as of right now, I mean, especially seeing the deals that most receivers are getting now, that sounds like a steal. So if I was the Saints, I'd definitely try to make that call because let's be honest, it's not like the Texans are really – I don't want to say they're not playing for anything, but expectations for Houston are very, very low. All right, let's talk about another player who could potentially be on the move. My favorite running back in the league, Saquon Barkley, who a lot of NFL insiders believe that Saquon will not be a New York Giant by the start of this upcoming season. So let's say he is on the move. What team do you think should try to pull the trigger for a trade? I'm actually going to say another team that we just mentioned, but the Miami Dolphins. Uh, we've seen that they have been very aggressive this offseason. Like I mentioned, you know, they brought in Teron Armstead, of course, the Tyreek Hill trade, things like that. And, I mean, bringing back Emmanuel Agua, et cetera. But I still have questions about that running back group. Like, yes, they did sign Trey, uh, Chase Edmonds, and they brought in Raheem Mostert, but those are two guys who – Chase Edmonds really hasn't proven to be a number one, and Raheem Mostert can't stay healthy. I think that right now so many teams are going to the mindset of having running back by committee, and so you could have Saquon Barkley be there to kind of be that power runner for you, in addition to kind of being more versatile, and then bring in uh, Chase Edmonds on the third down situations, and then if you need a speedy back or a speed faster back, you go Raheem Mostert. Overall, I think that that would be a nice little dynamic for the Dolphins to have, because as you mentioned, for a young quarterback, one of their best friends is having a run game, and Tua Vailoa, in my opinion, already doesn't have any excuses, but if you bring Saquon Barkley in, this should be if it's on the should, should be a top 10 offense. And at the very least, it lets you know that you need to make moves at quarterback. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. Antonio Brown, over the past several months, has made a lot of 
interesting decisions but one of them may actually have some merit as we all know he is a free agent but hoping to get signed and admitted that he does need ankle surgery but he will only get it if he is signed he said I need to get my ankle fixed but I just want to make sure I got an obligation or a commitment from a team Brown said it's a lot of it's a lot for a guy to go do the story surgery without an idea of where you're going to work or who you're going to work for so I, I don't often give him credit, but this, in my opinion, makes some sense. So, believable or buffoonery, Antonio Brown is making the right move to wait to have surgery. I think it's buffoonery, and the reason I'm saying is because you're saying you want to wait for a commitment from a team. But one of the things that can help you get signed is a, a team knowing that you're potentially coming back, coming to them healthy. So you're also, it makes sense for you, but it also can help jeopardize the one thing that you really want, which is to get signed. Because the team, it, teams aren't likely to sign injured players. And with his history, that's just another hurdle that he could potentially be having to face. I'm going to say believable, uh, mainly just because I know that it's, like I said, I know we get a, a Antonio Brown a lot of flack, but that makes sense because if you – let's say you don't, you do get the surgery. Well, teams can use that as an excuse to be like, oh, well, we're going to wait till you're fully healthy before we sign you and then end up not getting signed. So I understand him because if you already have a contract, then at the very least you can – you know that you have a deal coming up so you can start rehabbing and getting to work with said team as opposed to just doing it and then not exactly – having much direction now don't get me wrong I think that at some point he's gonna have to have the surgery because you just don't want to keep walking around like on a bum ankle but from his standpoint I understand wanting to have that security before making a move like this but all right we got to talk about the Washington Commanders who have been faced it seems every offseason with some sort of allegation and the most recent allegation is that they have been withholding uh ticket profits from the rest of the NFL. This seems to possibly be the last draw for Dan Snyder, the team's owner. And Adam Schefter reported that the NFL may have enough evidence against the commander's ownership to force Washington into a new owner. So, believable or buffoonery, Dan Snyder will be forced to sell the commanders within the next year. say believable just because I feel like it's just been so much stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff that is like happened with Dan Schneider like whether it be you know sexual misconduct allegations to these most recent allegations to mistreatment of employees it's just been a lot and it's been a such an unhealthy environment for such a long time and I think that the NFL by this point kind of has to step in before the allegations continue to mount and things get worse especially because like I said this most recent allegation has something to do with money and before anything else, the NFL is a business. So they want to make every dime that they can. And so if Dan Snyder's withholding him, withholding them, I could definitely see that changing. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the Chargers, who have been very busy this past offseason. As I mentioned earlier, signing J.C. Jackson, trading for Khalil Mack. Things have been re- looking pretty good. Brandon Staley talked about his team's offseason additions and said, a lot of people talk about arming quarterbacks, but we wanted to arm Derwin, Derwin James, our safety, uh, with some weapons that could really bring out the best in him. As mentioned, they spent quite a bit of capital to build up their defense. So, believable or buffoonery, the Chargers will have the best defense in the league next season. Um, I'm going to say buffoonery because I think it's been a lot of great defenses already in tow. One of them being the Patriots, another one being um, like the Ravens. They still have a lot of good pieces. The Steelers still have a lot of good pieces. Uh, the Saints they have a lot of good pieces. I think it sounds good that you signed all of these people, but it's also the whole concept of we don't know how they're going to look until they actually touch the field. Uh, for me, I would say, yeah, it, it, you don't know how they're going to look on paper. I'll, I would say buffoonery. On paper, they should at least be a top five defense. However, Football is played on the field. It's not played on paper, and injuries could happen at any time. It's kind of similar to what I was saying about the Rams. Like, the their depth right now is not exactly the most inspiring thing I've ever seen. So I think that that will play a big role in it. But they do definitely have the potential to be. But as of right now, I don't think I would go that far. But right, let's talk some more Jalen Ramsey. Um, In a recent interview, he talked about his draft process and said that the uh, Brian, I mean not Browns. The Cowboys had initially promised that they were going to take him with their fourth overall pick in the 2016 draft if he was available, but instead ended up taking Ezekiel Elliott. Now, to be fair, the first couple years of Ezekiel Elliott were very productive, played a big role in them returning to the playoffs back in 2016. But believable or buffoonery, the Cowboys are regretting not taking Jalen Ramsey way back when. For me, I would say believable just because I love running backs, but they're definitely a position. You're going to get a lot of wear and tear on your running backs. And the first couple years of Zeke were amazing. But I think that just for long-term effects, especially with the way that the NFL is going now, personally, if I had the option of getting a great running back or a great corner, especially that early in the draft, I'm pretty much going to go corner. And, I mean, we've see, seen how bad the Cowboys' secondary has been over the past several years. I mean, with Trayvon Diggs, where they're just now starting to look a bit more consistent and a bit more legitimate at the position. But had things worked out differently and they would have taken Jalen Ramsey, they could have been – their defense could have looked very differently, what, starting seven years ago. So I'm going to say I find it believable. But, I mean – like you mentioned, I mean, you never really know because things could have worked out very differently in that scheme, but I, I think they are kind of regretting it. All right, speaking of another possible regret, the Baltimore Ravens had the chance to draft DK Metcalf just a few years ago during the 2019 draft. 
That was 2019, right? Whatever. During the 2019 draft, but instead decided to go the route of Hollywood Brown, who has not been bad. But with so many trade uh, rumors happening around DK Metcalf, Lamar Jackson gave his take on it via Twitter, adding DK saying, come slide. We got them guys, but we can slide too. We welcome everyone here with open arms. You definitely one of the, them guys as well. So, believable or buffoonery, the Baltimore Ravens should be all in to for trading for DK. Uh, I think they should be. I think that it will be a it'll be a huge upgrade and a huge up to their team. And like DK is still young. Still a dynamic player, and we, I granted, we he's took a down tick over the course of last season, but I think he's a guy that still has a lot of tremendous potential. And if the Seahawks are willing to get rid of him, why not take a swing? I feel that me, how I'm gonna say believable too, mainly just because. At the very least, I mean, I would at this stage, I would take DK over any receiver you would get at this point. I feel in the draft, I feel like they would be more productive. Of course, you'd have to worry about the upcoming contract, but overall, I think that that's something that if if you're just looking at it from a short term perspective, at the very least, you know you're going to get a guy who is dynamic and who is a playmaker. Now, you and I. We literally just talked about this last night in terms of like where we will rank him among other receivers from that class, and we both like put him fourth. But even still, I mean, DK is has a lot of potential. I think that he has the highest ceiling of most younger quarter. I mean, not quarterback, wide receivers in the league. And if I'm Baltimore, I mean, the worst they can do is say no. So I would say give it a shot, and then give um, give Lamar Jackson another weapon. But all right, last piece before we move on to the NBA. The NFL, as we all know, is trying to grow internationally. In addition to that, um, in addition to their plans to go internationally, they're also pushing to add flag football as a sport for the 2028 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. That'd be a pretty interesting concept. So in European, Ethan, believable or buffoonery, flag football should be played in the Olympics. I mean, truthfully, I don't watch the Olympics. I don't really care. But I mean, you said what? I watch certain Olympics. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it'd be interesting from that standpoint. I'll I'll say believable just because, I mean, there's so many other sports that, like, like you mentioned, like, not many people are really that interested in. So, flag football, I think it'd be interesting. Because, I mean, football, or at least the American version of football, it is growing more internationally. And I think that a great way to help implement that growth and really like put more eyes on the product is to have it incorporated in some way in the Olympics. So yeah, why not? I mean, there are worse things you could do. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting with Ethan, your top three takeaways from this past week of action. 
top three takeaways are um, the Los Angeles Clippers are a very interesting team running into the to the course of this playoffs slash play in. Given the fact that they just brought back Paul George, and it's been very loud rumors that if the um, Clippers make it to the actual playoffs themselves, that they will be bringing back Kawhi Leonard. Number, I guess, number two would be the um, the Nets. Everyone's talking about how the Lakers have um, been a debacle, but the fact that the Nets are, and granted, I understand that they had a lot of injuries. But the Nets are fighting for playoff position themselves, and I feel like a lot of people aren't really talking about that because they have KD and Kyrie, who's to say, and they haven't been playing great basketball. Like they are, they had to come back from a, I think, twenty-one point deficit mm-hmm. just last night against the Knicks without Julius Randle. Um, who's to say they might get put out of the playoffs in the play-in tournament? And number, I guess, number one is just the. The rumors of the overwhelming dysfunction in the Utah Jazz organization and how it's like they've taken a fall from grace just this past seat, the last previous season. They were the number one seed in the Western Conference. And they a lot of people probably paid them as a team that could potentially be vying for a championship in these upcoming years, but now it's like they're fighting for a their job they're fighting for position in the playoffs in the lower seed slash play in situation and also like it's rumors that depending on how this season looks they're going to be they might look to trade Rudy Gobert is also I'm pretty sure you know about it but it's this um it was this thing that came out on Twitter where it's shown that Donovan Mitchell only passed the ball to Rudy Gobert two, two times in a game it's also been the way that they've been taking petty shots and jabs at each other in the end of press conferences so I think that, you know, me personally, I'm not a Utah Jazz fan. I am a Donovan Mitchell fan, but I think it's just interesting that that's the case that's going on now. Yeah, I feel that. I think that, as you mentioned, I mean, kind of that dysfunction that's starting to rear its head. I mean, it's already hard enough playing in a really small market, but not being able to hit on that potential time and time again, it's going to be frustrating because, I mean, as you mentioned with the – I've definitely seen the reports about Rudy Gobert possibly being traded. And I could see Donovan Mitchell being on his way out shortly thereafter. And then I think you take away those two guys, and it's going to be hard finding players who want to play in Utah. So things are going to be very interesting over this um, these next few months. But all right, let's go ahead and go with our Mamba Players of the Week. Uh, For me, starting out – in the Eastern Conference, I'm going your boy Joel Embiid and hopefully the league's MVP. I mean, as he has been doing time and time again, he has just been dominating. And the past week has only scored less than 30 points in one game, but even then he scored 29 against the Hornets. Back-to-back 44-plus games um, this past week. I mean, he's just he's just destroying everybody. I, I At this point, it's hard to make a case against him. Yeah, for me, it's Joel Embiid. Well, he's making a dominant case. Um, he hit a excuse me. He hit a stretch. Um, maybe a couple weeks ago where he wasn't playing up to par, and I think that now that he's back to being his dominant self, it might have some resurgence in his MVP votes. 
All right, moving on to our Western Mamba of the week. I'm going to show some love to Devin Booker. Uh, second straight week of that. I mean, another guy who's been playing lights out. Yes, Chris Paul returned, so that kind of helped balance things out in Phoenix. But, I mean, even still, Devin Booker was having a tremendous season. And he gets the distinction of sending home the Lakers again. Of course, it's not just him. But his 32-point performance played a really big role in that Lakers loss, which effectively ended their season. So, got to show love to Devin Booker. Feel you on that. All right, let's go with our rookie Mamba of the week. I mean, they asked him what has he learned over the course of his rookie year, and he said that he's a bucket, and he is. That's Jalen Green. I mean, currently on a, what, one, two, five-game stretch of dropping at least 30 points, dropped 30 on the Nets, 30 on, 31 on the uh, Timberwolves, 33 on the Kings. I mean, he's just – nobody's been able to really stop him from scoring. And, I mean, he's done so in a pretty effective way. I mean, back-to-back games where he shot over 50% from the field. And, mind you, the numbers he's putting up, I mean, that's that's definitely a big improvement over what we were seeing when he was first getting his feet wet in the NBA. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Jalen Green. Like, I think this is one of those things that now that he's later in the season, he's probably starting to ask to figure out the best ways to attack defense in the NBA, and it's showing in his production on the court. Most deaf. All right, so let's go ahead and look at the current NBA playoff picture. So, as let's start things off in the Eastern Conference. So, as they stand right now, the Miami Heat are the number one seed, while the Boston Celtics are the second seed. The number three seed, Milwaukee Bucks, will be facing off against the number six seed, Chicago Bulls. Number four seed, Philadelphia 76ers, would face the number five seed, Toronto Raptors. And then for the play-in, the number seven seed, uh, Cleveland Cavs are matched up against the number eight seed Brooklyn Nets. And then the number nine seed Atlanta Hawks are matched up against the number 10 seed Charlotte Hornets. So of these matchups that we have so far, which one are you most looking forward to watching? agree with that as of right now I think it would also produce the best games because even though I'm agreeing so I think that the Bucks will pull it out I think that the Bulls would at least be competitive 
Um, because, I mean, while they may not notch the wins, we have seen time and time again, like, DeMar DeRozan go off in games like this against better teams or Zach Levine stepping up. It's just, unfortunately, the wins don't necessarily translate. But, yeah, I'm in agreement with you as far as this being uh, – the matchup that I'd most want to see. All right, let's, let's look at the Western Conference. Number one seed, Phoenix Suns. Number two seed, Memphis Grizzlies. And then as of right now, the number three seed, Golden State Warriors, will be taking on the number six seed, Denver Nuggets. The number four seed, Dallas Mavericks, facing the uh, number five seed, Utah Jazz. And then for the play-in, the number seven seed, Minnesota Timberwolves, will be uh, matched up against the eighth seed, Los Angeles Clippers. While the number nine seed, New Orleans Pelicans, will be matched up against the number 10 seed San Antonio Spurs so same question which matchup are you most interested in um I'm going to be extremely biased but I in a sense if the Timberwolves were to stay in the seventh seed I would be interested in that matchup against the Grizzlies because you have you're going to have two young teams that overperform dramatically over the course of this season. And quite honestly, there's beef between those teams. Yeah. Like the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves, whenever they play, it's beef. And it's been in those series, you've had Anthony Edwards in this um, series throughout the course of the season. You've had Anthony Edwards destroy the Grizzlies. And it's been it's a tied series throughout the season. It's 2 2. And I think that it'll be interesting. You also have the element of Pat Bell, who every time he played, every time they played the Grizzlies, he was involved in something with somebody. And I would like to see it because I know that he he likes to terrorize and harass opposing point guards. And I know John's not backing down. And I think that it's going to be, it could be one of those things to where this could create a rivalry scenario for the years to come between those two teams. I feel you on that. I'm going to go with another um, two teams that have been pretty competitive thus far, and I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors versus the Denver Nuggets. I mean, believe it or not, right now the Nuggets lead the season series 3-1, to one, and all but what one game was desi- decided by single digits. And I think that especially because there's so many eyes on the Warriors and their health and what are they going to be able to do once Steph gets back, if he is able to come back. And then the Nuggets, who, as you mentioned earlier, like are pretty much being powered by Nikola Jokic. Can the Warriors finally find a way to kind of suppress him and stop him? Or is he going to run the show and pretty much be the one-man wrecking crew to the Warriors team that is supposed to have superiorly more talent? Like, that's a storyline that I'm really interested in following as of now. So that would definitely be my Western my matchup. But all right, let's go ahead and talk about the players who it was announced would be inducted into the 2022 Hall of Fame class. Um, leading the way, we have Manu Ginobili, Tim Hardaway, Swin Cash, Lindsey Whalen, uh, Bob Huggins, George Carl, Hugh Evans, Marianne Stanley, Lou Hudson, Larry Costello, Dell Harris, Teresa Shank Grants, and Rade, Radiv Karak. So let's talk about pretty much the headliner of said class, Manu Ginobili. I think we both agree he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. So just how do you feel about just overall his career and just him making the Hall of Fame? What are your thoughts? I think it's definitely well-deserved. I think that in the case of the – because the thing with the 
basketball hall of fame is it's not just the NBA, it's his overall mm-hmm. on his overall career. So NBA is that alone is a foregone conclusion. This man is I think a four time NBA champion. Um and the quite possibly the best six man of all time in the NBA. And then you account for his just performances in the Olympics. He had some really great moments, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was on the Argentinian team that beat the U.S. at some point for gold or maybe silver. I can't remember. So, he's well-deserved. That's the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. It's not weird, but it's kind of weird because, like, throughout his time with the Spurs, he was never, like, considered the headliner or, like, the main guy. But the Spurs were such a cohesive unit. Like, you and I talked about it. Like, about the case like Tony Parker. Like, at times we kind of forget to give individual guys their flowers because of the teams they played for. And so it's nice to see Manu's contributions, as you mentioned, at both the NBA, but just overall, like, playing throughout, you know, for his home country, seeing all of that really translate. I think that that's really dope. And, you know, congratulations to him and the entire class because that's a remarkable achievement. All right, let's go ahead and talk injury news. You mentioned it a bit ago with Kawhi Leonard potentially being able to return uh, depending on the result of the play-in. So, by all reports, it's looking like Kawhi is looking really good and has does not have any limitations in his workouts. Now, while nobody's really talking about the Clippers as a contender, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard coming back does seem to give the Clippers a chance. So let's say Kawhi does come back. He's back at 100%. How far do you think the Clippers can go? Um, being honest, if Kawhi comes back and he's back full strength and Paul, and Paul George is saying to come back full strength, I think that they could be a dark horse for the Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is because, for one, they have a plethora of wings. They have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, um, Robert Covington, Norman Powell. Like, that, that team is a team that you can basically put, when you have a star player, you can put four different guys on them. That's why, me personally, I want the Timberwolves to win that series and mm-hmm. match up because if they bring Kawhi back for the play-in, it's rumored he will come, in, come back after the play-in. But who knows? If he says, like, hey, I want to come back during the play-in, I would hate to see a scenario where they would put Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, or Robert Covington on job. Yeah. And that, I think that there's something that could present a lot of issues for a lot of teams in the um, playoffs is because you can put three high-level defenders on your best player, and those guys are all, two of those guys are also high-level offensive players. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, because, I mean, what, they made it to the, were they in the Western Conference Finals last year? Yeah, they did. Yeah. And, I mean, we look – I mean, you and I have talked about it at length, like when the Clippers 
were without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. We weren't sure how great they were going to be or how good they were going to be, but the fact that they were able to keep themselves afloat enough to put themselves in that situation, I think that really speaks volumes to the their overall depth in their roster. And then you get back Paul George, you win those pivotal games, and then possibly adding in Kawhi Leonard too. I mean, that could make the Clippers definitely, as you mentioned, a dark horse because we know how good Kawhi Leonard is when he's healthy. Same for Paul George and then for the rest of this team who's really been able to step up. I think that's something that has to be you know acknowledged and could really get them far in the playoffs so yeah I do think that Kawhi will play a big role speaking of players uh playing a big role um unfortunately for the Chicago Bulls Lonzo Ball has been it's been announced that he is going to be out for the rest of the season so you and I we just kind of just both talked about their current playoff matchup against the Bucks but losing Lonzo Ball how big of an effect does that have for Chicago I think it's going to have a big effect because of the things that he presents on the court. Uh, he, first and foremost, he's a guy that can run your offense and initiate your offense, and he has incredible court vision. He can get guys the ball where they need it to score and be the most productive. And also, he's a he's a menace as a defender. He's one of the better defenders at the point guard position, and that's something that can play different play dividends, especially in the playoffs, whereas say you say you were to end up in a situation to where you play the Brooklyn Knicks. He's a guy that you can put on Kyrie and granted he might not neutralize Kyrie, but he can make it really difficult for Kyrie. And then who's to say whoever you play in the West, I mean if you play if you play um if you play Golden State in the West, he can put you can put him on stealth. If you play Memphis in the West, you can put him on job. If you play Phoenix in the West, you can put him on CP3 or Devin Booker. And that's something that can, like, being able to pressure your opposing team's point guard and best players, that's something that you desperately would need in the playoffs. Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, Lonzo Ball has made so many great strides over these past couple of seasons to where he's kind of made himself, like, one of those point guards who you want on your team, just as you mentioned, like with his court vision, his ball distribution. And so not having that is going to be a really big blow. Of course, they do have guys like Kobe White and Alex Caruso, but it's a different style that they give that Lonzo had that I feel like really helped to make them so explosive and such a great team earlier on in the year. Not saying I think the Bulls are just going to be terrible without him, but as you mentioned, I think it is going to be noticeable the difference of having him on the court and then not having him on the court, especially in those pivotal games. But all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery, starting off with Ben Simmons. As we all know, while he was making the decision to not play for the Philadelphia 76ers for most of the season, he was not getting paid. And so it was announced that he is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Um, it was announced that Ben Simmons has filed a grievance against the 76ers to challenge the missing out on nearly $20 million of his salary. Currently, um, his grievance will go to the arboration process and may have a huge impact on the league because it could set a precedent for players getting their money back if they decide to hold out. So, believable or buffoonery, Ben Simmons has a legitimate gripe against the 76ers about his salary. No, it's buffoonery. I mean... You decided to not play and hold out, and the thing of it is, is when you, it's like saying us people that work regular jobs, it's like you, you're a reporter. 
if you decide like, hey, I'm not going to report, then your job isn't going to pay you. So he doesn't have a legitimate gripe, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think it's buffoonery as well because it's not. Yes, you were kind of battling an injury, but that's not why you weren't there. It wasn't the injury. You just didn't want to be in Philly. And, I mean, I get it. Believe me, I totally understand. I feel like, you know, you got to put your mental health first. But don't expect to still get paid for work that you didn't do. That doesn't make any sense. So, no, I think it's buffoonery, too. I hope not, hope isn't the right word. But I'd be shocked if they made Philly pay him the money that he didn't get. All right, let's go ahead and talk about Kevin Durant, his new teammate, um, who in a recent interview with The Ringer talked about his legacy and said, OKC has to retire my jersey. It wouldn't even be good for the game if they didn't. The same with Golden State. I was with them for OKC. Golden State, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it, but I don't think they have to. So, believable or buffoonery, both the Thunder and the Warriors will retire Kevin Durant's jerseys. Uh, I am going to say believable only, and the reason I'm saying believable for the case of Golden State is because he won championships with them. And there's something that teams hold into high regard. So I think it'll happen. I don't think, I definitely think it will be, his retirement from OKC will be before his retirement with Golden State. And I definitely think that his retirement will be after they retire Steph, Dre, and Clay's jerseys. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I'm going to say buffoonery. I feel like, Yes, championships are important, but he was in Golden State for, what, three years? Something like that. Because he, no. Because he what? He sat his first year, he had torn his ACL. So I don't think he played. And then what? Champ? No, I lied. That was his last year in Golden State. That was his last year in Golden State. So he played, what, two and a half years there? I mean, Championships are important, don't get me wrong, but I just feel like in terms of, like, overall impact, like, if I'm comparing you, like, to Wilt Chamberlain, Rick Barry, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond, you may have been, like, the best player on the court when you played, but just in terms of being overall impactful, I don't, I don't think so. Thunder, yeah, 100%. I think they're going to retire his jersey, even if it takes a little bit of time just because there may still be a little bit of animosity there. Because, like, realistically, I could see them retiring Russell Westbrook's jersey before they did Kevin Durant just because, you know, as I mentioned. But Golden State, I don't think it's signed still delivered that they're going to retire his jersey. And I wouldn't really blame them if if they didn't. I mean, he was great, but I just – he wasn't – I don't want to pull that he wasn't there long enough card, but he wasn't there long enough. But, all right, let's go ahead. We got to talk about the Lakers' disappointing season after losing earlier in the week to said Suns and the Spurs winning their game. The Lakers were mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, which pretty much just puts the bow on what has been an incredibly disappointing season. And, um... Everybody knows it. So this is a bit of a two-parter. So we're going to first start off with a comment uh, post-game by Anthony Davis when he was talking about the Lakers' injuries, where he said, you feel like 
Like, what could have been if I was healthy all year? Braun was healthy. K Nunn was healthy. You think about those things. The most frustrating part about this season is not being sure of what we could have been. So, believable or buffoonery, let's say everybody was healthy throughout the year. The Lakers would have been Western Kinal Conference Finals contenders. No, it's buffoonery. Yeah. Because when they were healthy, they still weren't a producing they still weren't a winning team. Yeah. Like they played better, but it was just I think they just had so much to overcome that I don't think they would have made it to the Western Conference Finals. They might have made it to the playoffs. Yeah, I think playoffs, but Western Conference. Because, I mean, even still, yes, injuries played a big role, but I think that just continues to go back to the same issue that you and I were talking about, even when free agency was happening. Like, they weren't bringing in players who helped, who made up for the areas that LeBron or AD lack. Like, their bench was old. They're, they didn't really have much three-point shooting. They were really bad from the perimeter. They weren't getting much better defensively. They didn't bring in players who would help out in those areas. And so because of that, I think that that would have played a big effect in them over the course of the season. Like even if it wasn't injuries, possibly fatigue would hurt them and they wouldn't they wouldn't go that far in the playoffs because of that. So I think just pulling the injury card is I don't I don't think that's realistic. But all right, going into another comment, of course, Russell Westbrook was asked about his future with L.A. following the game to where he said that's the plan about him returning, but nothing is promised. Believable or buffoonery, the Lakers should bring back Russell Westbrook next season. Buffoonery, I think that he, going into this season, he was a bad fit. Yes, he's he's been more steady. Um, this latter half of the season, but that's always the case for him. But I just think that he just doesn't fit well with their roster. I think that I know this would be a long shot, but if they want to try to go for a superstar type player, maybe shoot your shot at Dane to see if you can get Dane, or maybe just get do like you did the season in which you won in the bubble, which is you. And it's hard because we just talked about the injuries, but center your team around Anthony Davis and LeBron and get really good role players and um, get a lot of shooting because that's the thing that the Lakers need for their team to work, in my opinion, is they need shooting. When they won, they had KCP, they had Danny Green. They had Caruso, who wasn't the most consistent shooter, but he can knock down shots. I think the whole process of like, hey, we needed a superstar player that was on, um, that might have been overvalued versus what they might have asked to be. Yeah, I'm also in agreement with you with that being buffoonery. I mean, you you really hit it on the head. It was a bad fit from the word go. You and I both questioned how it would work, and as we now see, it did not work. Like, yes, Russell Westbrook got a lot of flack, but the thing is, Russell Westbrook has played like this his whole entire career. But because of the situation he was in and the spotlight he was under while playing like this, everybody's all of a sudden down his throat. But he's been this same guy forever. And I just think that I get him wanting to stay at home, you know, playing in California and L.A. where he's from blah, 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 being close to the family. But just in purely basketball terms, it just it doesn't work. It's not a good fit. And I feel like neither 
side really benefits from staying together just because I don't think truthfully I don't really know unless they make really crazy moves this next offseason I don't think the Lakers are making it back to the finals anytime soon and you put Russell keep Russell Westbrook in the equation I definitely don't think they're gonna make the finals anytime soon and so I just think that at this point it's just better to cut your losses take the L and just move on and try to forget that this year ever happened but all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for tonight. Starting off with the Orlando Magic versus the Charlotte Hornets. I'm going Hornets. I'm going Hornets. Boston Celtics versus the Milwaukee Bucks. This is hard, but I think I'm going to go Bucks. I'm going Bucks. Philadelphia 76ers versus the Toronto Raptors. I'm going Sixers. I'm going Sixers. Portland Trailblazers versus the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm going Pelicans. San Antonio Spurs versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going to go Spurs. The upset. I'm going Timberwolves. Memphis Grizzlies versus the Denver Nuggets. Um, I'm going to go Nuggets. Uh, yeah, I'm probably going to go Nuggets as well. Last but kind of least, Lake, Los Angeles Lakers versus the Golden State Warriors. I got Warriors. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to give my recap of WrestleMania 38. So let's start things off with night one. The Usos keep the SmackDown tag team division on lock after retaining their titles. Drew McIntyre's days aren't ending yet after taking down Happy Corbin. The Miz and Logan Paul defeat the Mysterios in a really entertaining match, but The Miz is the last man standing. From the entrance, the gear, and the match, Bianca Belair proves to once again be the EST of the WWE and becomes once again our raw women's champion. Ain't don't it just feel so good to say that? I'm enjoy I, I love saying it. It makes me it makes me feel good. Um Cody Rhodes makes a hell of an impression in his first match back with the WWE in six years. Just when I thought my mania night was made, the Queen just reminded me why I love her so much and beat Ronda Rousey. Woo! Indeed. And finally, Stone Cold ends his career on his home turf after taking out Kevin Owens. Moving on to night two. After consecutive high-flying RKO's, RK-Bro retains their tag titles. Bobby Lashley dominates Big Man almost in his first match back. Uh, Johnny Knoxville and the rest of the Jackass crew jump Sami Zayn for a match I didn't know what to expect going in, but I'm happy I had no expectations because it was it was really good. Uh, Team Bad, even though right now I don't have a new name for them, but Team Bad got, get their WrestleMania moment as they become the new women's tag champs. Uh, Edge shows that his omnipotence was no fluke as he defeats AJ Styles. Sheamus and Rich Holland win a match that really could have been left off the card entirely, but you know, whatever. Pat McAfee reminds everyone that punters are people too, and though it, he uses athleticism to put on a show against Austin Theory. You know, Vince McMahon wants his own WrestleMania moment, damn it, and defeats McAfee in an impromptu weird kind of match. But then, you know, he takes the Sunner more than anybody else because Stone Cold comes out and gives a stunner to him, Austin Theory, and Pat McAfee. Who do you think took the stunner the best? I think I'd have to say Vince for obvious reasons. Um, and then finally, Roman Reigns makes WrestleMania acknowledge him after becoming the undisputed champion 
of the WWE. Overall, I went 10 and 3. Um, some matches I did not count, such as Stone Cold versus Kevin Owens. Why I didn't think it would just be a match? Mm. Uh, the New Day versus Sheamus and Ridge. The outline I looked at didn't have it on there. Not so I don't think I really cared enough. And then, of course, Vince versus Pat. I don't think really anybody was expecting that one, but who cares? All right, let's talk about favorite matches. As we know, it's a two-night event, so most of these are going to have two different answers. Starting off with night one, I'm going Seth Rollins versus Cody Rhodes. A uh, big reason why I'm going this match is because it was, in my opinion, the best match of the weekend. Like, I really hadn't watched much Cody Rhodes in... I really didn't watch him much in AEW, and hell, I stopped watching wrestling uh, even before the Stardust days, so my last real memories of Cody Rhodes were, like, post-legacy, so as you can guess, it's been a while, but he had a terrific appearance. I mean, Seth Rollins is one of the best workers in the biz. Putting him and Seth in the ring together was magic waiting to happen, and it proved out to be. It was terrific, um, and then my night two... Uh, favorite match was the Raw Tag Team Championship. I mean, I love the Street Profits. This is a fact. I love Randy Orton. I love Matt Riddle. Alpha, Maca Alpha Academy is very respectable as well, but I just mean, it's just a fun-ass time all around. Um, moving on to my favorite moment, night one, Charlotte ble beating Ronda. You all know I don't like Ronda Rousey. I go as far as say I hate Ronda Rousey. She's easily my least favorite women's wrestler of all time, and that's saying something because you guys know how much I used to hate the Bellas, but I was not... I picked Charlotte, but I was not totally expecting Charlotte to win. It was more so something I did out of spite. And it sees that my spiteful chant was heard and the GOAT won. That's all that matters. Um, night two, my favorite moment, Matt Riddle's RKO on Montez Ford. I mean, that was that was, that was pretty freaking great. Uh, increased stock, uh, I'm going Bianca Belair for obvious reasons. She's now once again champion, even with the black eye. I mean, who cares? She's still... The ESC of WWE, and she's going to come back better in, than ever. I know that uh, Becky's going to be up next, but I'm really excited to see what this title reign becomes because, truthfully, I really want to see her and Ripley. If anybody not named Bianca is going to be Raw Women's Champion at this point, it should be Rhea Ripley, and I'm speaking that into existence. Um, and on night two, Pat McAfee. I think that if you didn't watch his matches in NXT against Adam Cole, you were missing the freak out. Like, it, those were terrific. And I think that it's great that he finally got his opportunity to not only show what he can do, like, on in WWE, but on the grandest stage of them all. I mean, who had a better weekend than Pat McAfee? Like, honestly. Uh, decrease stock, I'm going to say Kevin Owens back because, good Lord, that man took so much trauma and pain to his back. And as someone with scoliosis, I just can't imagine how painful – any of that was, but we all know Kevin Owens is a trooper and he thugged it out, but I know at the time that had to stuck, and then um, decreased stock, I'm gonna say almost, I know on Raw, uh, he and MVP jumped Bobby Lashley, but it's still like, I don't really know what direction you go with almost, I don't really think he's championship material, I don't think he's gonna become a world champion anytime soon, so it's kind of just like, his thing was being big and beating up people, but now the bully got beat up, so like, what do you do? Um, Booking decisions. Uh, for night one, I would have had Charlotte win off a natural selection instead of a big boot. Like, I get if you don't want to make Ronda tap, whatever. But a big boot is not an ideal finisher for today's WWE. So it's kind of just like, 
they could have they, they could have ended it better um and then for night two not have vince have a match with pat mcafee i mean pat mcafee is charismatic and great enough to where it's like oh who cares like he'll be fine but it just let him enjoy his moment and then if you want to have him get stunned or whatever that's cool like if you want to use that to set up like stone cold coming and stunning everybody that's fine but like i don't know i could have just used without vince beating pat didn't need it uh my wtf moment just so you know every these wtf moments rather than being bad or confusing were positives um so night one bianca Belair coming out to the texas southern band y'all know me i love my people i love my culture and i love me an HBCU marching band in Texas Southern did the dang thing. It was a terrific entrance and it had me hype. Like, not gonna lie to you, life has kind of been kicking my butt lately, but that was something that genuinely got me excited to see that band and then them doing her entrance and of course the subsequent match. So great WTF. And then um night two, everything that happened during Sami Zayn and Johnny Knoxville match, because what the fuck was any of that? And I mean that in the best possible way because it was incredibly entertaining. I had a great time watching it. But the mouse traps, the wee man, the big hand that slept. It was funny, but it was very it's as much as I'm like a traditionalist and I like when wrestling is like, you know, wrestling. This was also a great opportunity to just kind of laugh at yourself. Like you're having a freaking match with Johnny Knoxville. It has to be stupid. And it was, and it was great. And then finally, show grades. I mean, this is probably the best grade that I've given to a WWE pay-per-view. I know for at very least this year, but in a minute, I'm giving it a solid B. I feel like night one was better. Um, gave that a B, night two a B minus. But I mean, overall, it was just a really great wrestling event. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, I know that the two-night thing can get a bit bit tedious and not not and get a bit long, which is totally fair because at moments, you know, it can. But this past WrestleMania, I think that it being two nights really worked out in its favor. And, like, I mean, it's like I said, aside from that Ridge Holland and New Day match or whatever, I feel like there wasn't really a dull moment. And so that's all you can really ask for WrestleMania. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please should check out theXReport.net. I repeat, theXReport.net for our exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X-Report writers. Previous episodes for our lovely podcast, our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. For my football fans slash NFL Draft fans, got way more content coming out for you guys leading up to the NFL Draft, which is now about three weeks away, which feels crazy. So, of course, content coming out this week the week after, and of course, my final mock draft. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.